This podcast is brought to you by ThamesCon, bringing conventions to Oxford and London, including the Great Conjunction, the first ever dark crystal convention in the world. For more information, visit their website at www.thegreatconjunction.com. Another world, another time, in the age of wonder. You are listening to Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone! Dea, Tea, Dara, Tea. Your vital essence, the dark crystal. Kida, Kida. Come, come, see for yourself. Aru, Garu. How very interesting. Dea, Tea. I feel the song of Thra in my heart! Now go, you heroes of Thra! Hello and welcome to Trial by Stone, the Dark Crystal podcast. I'm your host, Phil, and just want to say thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast. And we're, you know, continuing our uh, character discussions. Um, you know, we, we've sort of gone through... Um, I guess you know the the main heroes are Thra with Rian and Deet and and Brea and and Hup and um but this time we're we're, we're changing things around. Time to get a little darker. Yes, exactly. So so of course with us is uh, Sydney. So um how you been doing, Sydney? Not bad. Happy twenty twenty one. This is our our first um recording session of the new year. So kind of exciting to um start off the year talking about Celadon, I suppose. Um, I'm, I'm going to see it as a good thing <laughs> because, because she's sort of a symbol of like redemption and, and forgiveness. And let's, let's put a positive spin on it. There's a lot of, um, opinions about Celadon out there. For yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, I, I just feel like, like out of all the characters, she is very complex. I mean, and, 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 and she, you know, Saladon's just like, you know, you would say, you know, a supporting character on the show, but there's a lot of layers to her, you know, um, which you, you probably don't get with, you know, with other characters as sort of, you know, supporting actors, um, you know, or, you know, have that for the main characters that have these sort of complex uh, traits that uh, Saladon certainly has. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, um, yeah, chatting about Saladon. So, no, which is, which is really cool. Would you say you see her as a as a villain of the series, or because I I kind of am inclined to not think of her as a villain necessarily, because even though she starts out sort of as an antagonist, ultimately what we learn from her is that she's not a bad guy in the end. She's she just you know had a transformation to make, but a lot of people are still kind of counting her as a, as sort of a villain. They think of her as sort of like the Maleficent of the Dark Crystal world. <laughs> I know it was it, yeah, her transformation was very interesting how because I mean really it all began like you know at the start you know with the tithing ceremony and you know she, I think it sort of started a little bit of jealousy you know that Brea the attention that Brea was getting you know being able to go in the cage and even though she probably shrugged it off but I think internally she was like damn it you know I, I wish I had those moments you know <laughs> that sort of thing well I mean it's clear she's so insecure like the majority of of the issues that she has just stems from the fact that she has all these insecurities about does my mom love me as much as my other sisters and you know is the my little sister gets to do whatever she wants but I have all these responsibilities because I'm next in line like she just is letting her pressure and her 
insecurities sort of um, take over, and that's just sort of what fuels all of her actions and her the way she treats her sisters and everything. Although it is interesting how she treats um, Tavra a lot differently than... We, we don't see a whole lot of interaction in the show between Celadon and Tavra compared to her just sort of coming down on Braille all the time. I think there's, like, one scene that comes to mind when, when Tavra's telling her to, like, take it easy on Brea. And, I mean, like, with Tavra, you know, she's saying, well, it's not really Brea you're angry with, you know, it's it's, it's with your with your mom, and, uh, and um, I think, yeah, she sort of begins to see it that way. And we learn in the comics that uh, she's actually named after Mayrin's mother. Mayrin's mother is named is Celadon and she named her firstborn daughter after her mother and so um that adds another sort of layer I think potentially if you have that that backstory you know that that's probably another layer of pressure that Celadon has as she has to sort of live up to the the name I mean because that that was such a um you know, we're reading the um, the Dark Crusade Resistance comics, and yeah, getting through the, the the last issue and finding out about like you know that yeah, I mean, it was just it came out of the blue that you know, oh yeah, I'm gonna name my first daughter Saladon, and that Saladon was the name of um, the old Modra's mother, or you know, Saladon's grandmother, and that, that that was actually you know, I mean, if you get a chance to read these comics, um, they're they're definitely worth a read because you do get a lot of stuff, you can get a lot of stuff about find out who you know Mayans uh who are Brea Saladon and um Tavra's father father is as well so it's really good backing context uh context for like why the characters are the way they are and it just sort of gives a little bit more if you um if you found yourself craving more interactions with these characters after Age of Resistance ended um because it is you know I think a lot of us were wondering about uh, Brea and Tavra and Celadon's dad and uh, when you read the J.M. Lee novels and you have a little bit more insight into Tavra I think it especially adds uh, a little bit more context when you know about who their father is so without getting too much into that it kind of some pieces get put together so I, I personally love all of the expanded additions um I know uh, a lot of fans out there are kind of purists and just want puppets or nothing, but, you know, while while another season or another movie would be preferential, <laughs> um, in the meantime, I'm not going to be mad at more stories, you know, sitting down with a, with a Dark Crystal book or a comic is, to me, you know, just as great an experience, just in a different way, so I, I, I agree, I highly recommend the, the, the comics as well. Yeah, no, they were really good, and, and I mean, like, I'm really hoping that they do uh another series down down the track um it's sort of an interesting study as we're recording this in january um you know there hasn't been a lot of um dark crystal stuff you know announced or, or things that are coming out um this year with the exception of the um the rpg um the tabletop game from R river river horse we um, should like <laughs> we have to get that first of all and and we should just get um, a bunch of our connections on here like we did get Jason and like Nancy and <laughs> a whole bunch of like the gathering songs people and Jamie and everybody to like play it we should just all play it and do like a big live stream of us playing the game but <laughs> I, I know I, I I was actually thinking on top of my head um, about that like thinking about oh you know th that would be a good tie-in you know to promote the um the, the RPG game, but also have a bit of fun playing, um, because I've, I, I mean, to, for me, it's like, I haven't really played many of those, um, 
uh, yeah, the, the tabletop games with RPG. You uh, haven't played any D and D style. No, no. I mean, that was the thing. I did try to get into it like a year or two ago. Like I did bought the starter kit, and I just, um, I, I think I, I think my struggle with it is always just the preparations. Like, oh, you know, you, you could take like you could almost take an hour or so just like setting up your character or you know thinking all these. You things, have to have a good um, that, yeah. dungeon master is the thing. If you if you've never played before, you can't. I mean, this is just speaking from my experience, having been in a few different campaigns at this point, but I have found that if you're a first-time uh, player, uh, you, you shouldn't go straight in trying to create your own game and, and be a DM yourself. You should find somebody who's a, an experienced and good and understanding DM and have them sort of guide you through it. I had a... Um, I had the privilege of having a brother who is just an incredible uh, GM and he's run so many games and he does it professionally now and like teaches classes on it and stuff. So I had, um, I was lucky in that, (laughs) that um, don't definitely don't try to overwhelm yourself learning the entire thing. It's a lot. It is a whole bunch. But once you like get into it and you fall in love with your own character and everything, it's wonderful, which is why, I think so many Dark Crystal fans have been waiting for a Thraw set RPG game because it's so well suited for it. It's like just some of the best world building in all of fiction. It's perfect for an RPG. It's great. So, um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And officially licensed too. So, yeah. (laughs) All all the better. Uh, We actually do have uh, one Uh, of our listeners was uh, working on her own like independent RPG. Um, Natalie, if you're listening, hey, Natalie. Um, she was actually working um, with some of her loved ones for a while on on her own uh, version of a tabletop game set in set in Thra and was sort of asking for um, she was back and forthing with me a little bit on ideas and things like that and I'm sh- and she's not the only one that I've heard you know talk about it at all and it's definitely cool that there's an officially licensed um, there's an officially licensed game on the horizon for us to dive into and I'm really curious to see if it's just going to be completely open-ended or if they're going to be utilizing um, any pre-existing characters in the system whatsoever that you might encounter like but at the same time that could be up to the to the GM you know if they choose to incorporate um, those characters on their own like I just I just can't wait to see like how it's going to work because it'd be um I want Ron up in that game. <laughs> yeah, Ron, <laughs> Ron up yep, the dungeon master. <laughs> absolutely, I, I stand Ron. Yeah, up. yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I think you know, it'd be cool to see like firelings in there too, and you know, some of the stuff that that a lot of people maybe choose to ignore or <laughs> don't know as much about, um, but I think have a lot of potential still. So, uh, I do think. However, cycling back to to Celadon, <laughs> um, as as someone who who plays uh, RPGs and who has done a lot of character building and character studying, Celadon is fascinating to me, um, and it's really interesting. Uh, before we do part two and we get people's insight from comments and stuff, I know already we're going to get a lot of feedback that's just all over the place. We're gonna get a lot of people like, I hated her, she was the worst. A lot of people really didn't think that her transformation, or her not her transformation necessarily, but her redemption was not strong enough. Like she didn't have a big enough moment of, you know, deserving to be forgived, um, deserving to be forgiven. I just said forgived. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I get so excited. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people think that, and then other people get really passionate about it. Like, no, she's so important. Like, I know Jamie. When when we get Jamie back, he's going to talk about how he thinks it's just. And and I agree with him that the message of, you know when we are willing to forgive someone and to be empathetic with why they feel the way they feel and and when someone who even goes through the most extreme like this is how I feel and I'm doubling down and it seems really really bad but then when they see the light so to speak and start listening to others and come around and remember you know when we can forgive somebody even under those circumstances how important it is to have a message like that and um, Celadon is definitely a really good example of that, of, you know, how how important forgiveness can be. And, and a good redemption arc is something that I think works for a lot of stories. Yeah, because, I mean, that was the thing with, um, you know, watching the show. I mean, because, I mean, for me, what, what I've been doing is sort of I, I try and um, watch just, just the parts of Celadon um just for context or just you know because i mean if we're discussing character just you know just watch just sort of her scenes and like i was even you know trying to like pinpoint you know when does her redemption um really begin and you know I, you know with, with so much that happens in the show and, and originally i thought oh you know maybe it actually happens when you know she goes see the skexies and you know she pleads and all that kind of stuff and they say no 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 and, like I, I think it was like the beginning of you know I mean, that's when she realizes the um, that yeah, you know, the Skeksis they do drain Galfling and and that you know she was um you know r wrong and you know probably regrets a lot of things that she did before. I mean, especially like burning her mother, like that was like, I think I remember when we were watching that show and and um at that funeral scene at at the end, she's like, you know, we'll burn her, burn the mother, and she's just so angry at that point she's she's got so much resentment for what she perceives to be her mother's failures and the fact that she didn't think that her mother loved her enough and even in that moment when she's um cremating her and she says i'm i'm sorry it wasn't enough like she she's telling her like i loved you and i'm sorry it wasn't enough like she's um she's angry but she's sad at the same time it's not just that she's burning her because she hates her like it's not coming from a place of hatred at all it's like she's genuinely sorrowful and um you know she she feels like her mother thought she had failed and her mother thought she was a failure and that she was disappointing and so in a way she was all of her actions are a direct response to trying to live up to this image she thought that Mayrin had of her and what she needed to be. Um, you know, she thought she needed to be this powerful, loyal Almaldra who um, listens to the Skeksis because it's the way that it's always been done. And Yes, yeah, the tradition. Yeah. And a lot of it, it yeah. is very fear-based as well. Like, obviously, um, there's another really important lesson to be learned that I know we've talked about um, when we talked about, like, seeing real-world events through the eyes of the Dark Crystal and things like that how hard it is to challenge the norm for you like when you when you have a moment of realizing i might be wrong about something and then admitting that you're wrong and being willing to learn about it that's such a an inherently human experience to have of suddenly having something you thought you were safe in this knowledge that this was what normal is and it turns out it's wrong possibly 
And that's a lot of people respond to that with just doubling down and like, no way, this is the way it's always been. This is the way it's always worked because the thought of changing it is terrifying to them. Because of course it is challenging what, what you consider to be normal, what you consider to be safe is terrifying. And I think Celadon really exemplifies that of like, well, this is the way we've always done it. And again, Celadon is sitting in a place of, um, of privilege where things have been working out pretty good for her under this system. You know, she hasn't really witnessed firsthand how the Skeksis are making the world worse because <laughs> she's like, it's still fine where I'm sitting. <laughs> she's, she's sort of reaping the benefits of it and she doesn't want to lose that. So a lot of it there's just there's a big old cocktail of things making Celadon feel the way she feels. She's sad, she's angry, but also I think more than anything, she's scared. She's scared of change because everybody is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and like I was just even just thinking about you know, like even with the whole redemption thing that I thought, oh, you know, that it started with you know when she finds out the truth, but even when when she's in you know locked up and she's still believes not not believes in but so believes in the, the traditional like wanting you know the possibility of sacrificing uh Gelfling, well then she's running know, on sacrificing a few yeah, to save many she's running yeah, on pure yeah. desperation at that point too like even when she flat out tells them or when when the skexies flat out tell her like we do drain Gelfling, we're we do we're killing you it's true all the rumors that you've been saying aren't true like no they're true we're evil straight up and she still is like trying to hold on to that sense of normal and what you know maintaining the status quo because that's safety to her um so she's desperately still trying to make a deal with them like uh at that point like okay well then just you know what if we just give you seven gelfling one from each clan and they're like nope not good enough no and she's like okay well what if just spare my sisters just just me and my sisters and everybody else you can have like she's just desperate she's like anything um which is i think uh without getting too terribly you know political or spicy we've seen how people in positions of power when everything starts to crumble around them and they just want to try to hold on to that that sense of normality yeah, yeah, just a yep. double down and yeah yeah it's like an all, yeah. all or nothing when you're running um, on desperation some, like that leaders, and fear yeah. is a powerful thing man so yeah definitely yeah uh, yeah and um but yeah like i i i really think that it sort of begins her redemption is i mean when sort of olga comes in and saves them um essentially to sacrifice that her sacrifice is sort of when things sort of i think it's probably when the redemption sort of begins you know she's reunited with the sisters they're getting out and i think tavra's death probably what cemented it i think just thinking about it you know even more so that you know yep the skexies are really bad they're doing terrible things and all right we gotta work together to um to stop them well, I think you you have a really good point about uh, Agra's sacrifice being a moment that um, that really shows Celadon the error of her ways, I suppose, and you know makes her well. Well, I don't think it's necessarily that it shows her the error of her ways. I think she's been aware of the error. She's just been holding on to it anyway, again out of desperation and fear. Like I know I'm wrong, but I don't care. I just I need it to keep happening this way because otherwise everything changes, and that's scary. Um, however, I think through seeing Agra's sacrifice, it's 
shows her like, yes, it's scary, but it has to happen. Some things are more important. You have to put your own fears aside and look at the bigger picture and see what matters more. And um, because I think up until that point, all of her interactions with Agra, she's very spiteful toward her. Celadon is very spiteful toward Agra and thinks like, you know, you think you're more powerful than I am. I'm the Almadra. Who are you? You've been gone this whole time up, you know, chilling out in space. You haven't helped us at all. We're over here fending for ourselves. You're just a crazy old witch. And then suddenly you get to come in here and try to boss me around. No way. Um, so she doesn't really have a full idea of who Agra is at that point. Like, Agra is just kind of this mythical being to her at that point. Because Agra has sort of been, you know, yeah. pieced out yeah, for <laughs> the like whole three, time. Yeah, for 300 years. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, Celadon doesn't really have the context until she sees Agra do that. And she's like, oh, you do love us. You love us enough to sacrifice yourself. And then, and then look at what happened. She's she, um, basically is reborn, you know, through her actions. And and Celadon suddenly is like, oh, you are powerful. Oh, maybe I should listen to you. Maybe you do know what you're talking about more than I do. <laughs> um, I think that's the moment she realizes she can trust Agra. So yeah, you're right. That is a, a huge moment. I think is Agra's sort of sacrifice and then rebirth experience which is is interesting because um a lot of, for a lot of people agra sort of represents this allegory for like a christ figure or like a like a religious figure and uh you can look back to a lot of stories and a lot of real world examples of people who claim to have you know been lost until they found their spirituality or or their religion that that's what saved them the idea of being saved and you could kind of say that agra was that for Celadon in this in this case yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah which is um you know pretty cool um you know think about all these things like that I might, I might actually chat you know uh, like what was sort of like one of your I know do you have a particular like favorite moment um of Celadon through the show I mean of course there are so many great moments with her but is there one that really stands out to I you I mean it would be a lie if I tried to say any other moment but the goth transformation was was my favorite because that <laughs> when all of the the madras show up and they're like, where's Celadon? Where's she at? What's going on? And they cut to her like doing her little makeover, getting all, um, they, I think they call it a uh, garthic transformation. It's not gothic, but it's garthic is the name of the the fashion style of the Skeksis, which is kind of awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I was actually looking on the um, the Dark Crystal wiki, um, the the fan run, um, and 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 basically, um, um, gothic that that's that's actually is, is I'll just read it. Gothic was the style of art, architecture, and clothing used by the Skeksis first is devised by Skekek, the, ornam the ornamentalist. Um, so it was characterized by repetitive flamboyance, skeletal imagery, and obsessive usage of symbols denoting aggression and longevity. And I think um, the references is actually from J.M. Lee with Heroes of the Resistance. And I think it's also might have been in, in the, um, the, the original novelization as well, I think, maybe. So... I know that's something I have to I have to check it out see like where that term was um, first used because yeah. but 
but yeah, that scene and to see her, you know, go from uh, sort of being very traditionally Vaprin. And when you just look at the puppets, Celadon as a puppet is actually the most closely resembles Kira than any of the three sisters, even though, you know, the running theory is that Brea is Kira's mom. If you just look at the, the similarities of the way that the faces are sculpted, um, Celadon really resembles Kira from a facial structure point of view. And so to see her transform from this very softly regal and very traditionally what we think of as a Gelfling princess face um, to then sort of go into this, you know, the harsh makeup and the the spiky black sort of maleficent like outfit that she dons and and um you know it's almost like a music video the way that 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 whole scene is shot it's just like you can almost hear like this sort of heavy metal score building up in the background of her like transforming into into this um sort of goth goddess and then she comes out and all of the other madras are like oh she looks like a skexies what's up and then she like you know how she completely like yeets the the living crown and is just like this thing's obsolete this is my new spiky goth crown this yeah i am the all madra and i don't you know the old ways are dead which is interesting because she's been holding on to this like we got to keep doing things the way we always have been doing but now to sort of twist that she's like no we're gonna do it my way now like she's pissed so (laughs) i uh, man it's so easy to hate her but at the same time like that's such a cool scene and i don't a lot of people like did not see it coming just like they knew that she was you know headed toward that path of being loyal to the skexies but i don't think anybody saw how far she was going to take that and to see it manifest into this physical presence of i'm going to try to look like a skexies just it was cool man like i'm not saying i oh Oh yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it, it, I think I think it is actually one one of my favorite scenes as well. And I was even just uh, like even the puppet. I think for Saladon looks, very, you know, just subtly different. Even between episodes five to six, even before um, she get you know she gets on the um, the gothic uh, regalia. Um, I and the makeup. Oh yeah, you see her putting on the makeup too, yes. and it totally transforms her face. Yes, yeah, yeah. And then once she gets on her gothic regalia, that sort of yeah she's completely changed um at, you know through, throughout that time um uh, but yeah my, my favorite moments yeah of course um just i mean the two the, the two scenes like you know when the mordras arrive uh but definitely yeah like once um sorry i mean there's actually really three scenes actually i think thinking about it now because you had the first scene where mordra farah pops up um and then the second scene the all all the modules are there you know child you know it's we're gonna do this and then when she yoinks farah out of the sky like i had to, we had to pause and like slow-mo that scene a couple times because um like my fiance at the he was like did she just use the force to to pull farah out of the air because it's really quick cut and it's like you kind of can't really tell what's going on because she just sort of waves her hand and then farah's like falls out of the sky but yeah she actually grabs her like she just pulls her mid-flight which a super cool like just from a like badass standpoint but at the same time kind of a disappointment because we really wanted to see them battle in the air (laughs) 
really wanted that scene to happen. She said trial by air, and I was like, oh, I want to see that. That's going to be awesome. And then she was like, we're going to go to Roundup's Pass. And I was like, yes, go, go, go. <laughs> but sadly, <sighs> I wish. I know, that didn't didn't come to pass. But, um, I mean, the, I mean, the cool thing was they actually did show, um, uh, going back to the comics, they did show Roundup's Pass um, in the comics. So, again, another reason to read these comics Um i think like out of all the you know prequel you know the tie-ins like it probably mayan's arc sort of closely ties into i mean of course with um everything like with with celadon and um yeah just a couple of little things like that so definitely worth checking out but yeah i remember i think jason um uh from dark crystal uh, conjunction like he actually made a, a youtube video just like you know uh yeah that, that was the one big thing people thought oh you know yeah using the force using the force but no no he just managed to grab to i was just seeing how many frames it was anyways 13 14 15 16 17 18, yeah it's just like i like just about yeah under a second that that shot was um yeah so yeah it is a, it is a blink and you miss um <laughs> for that one sometimes yeah because you thought for a second, like, how powerful is she? Yeah. Did she just, like, force yeah, no, yeah, 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 yeah. Farrah out of this guy? But, no, she she grabs her, but it's still, like, it's it's pretty cool. And it's um, it's very surprising. It's very, like, oh, she's serious. She just pulled Cersei out of this guy, basically. <laughs> um, although it's interesting, this character's like Cersei. Celadon is kind of like Cersei, in a way, from Game of Thrones totally and i mean the other thing I, I really loved i mean especially with um when they're putting all the pieces of the crown I, I i just loved how the the camera was just keep moving around in a circle around them um i think i think that was another i think that was another thing that i really loved i mean as a filmmaker you know it just um brings um you know i mean there's a lot of tension a bit of drama and just alongside yeah it puts yes you, there. Yeah, you feel like you're there you know you you're watching you're seeing all this action taking place um yeah it, it sort of made you feel as an audience member like you're flying around in a circle like they are flying around you know like ah! um but then at the same time i do think uh full circle for celadon's character uh for her arc at the end uh battle in the last episode how celadon ends up uh, fighting alongside Farah, and essentially um, Farah sacrifices herself to save Celadon. Yes, um, yeah, that is true. Yeah, towards the end, yeah. Celadon's she's dropping bombs on the Skeksis in the sky, which you know is kind of cool already. Like we we didn't get to see the Lady Gelfling smackdown in the sky, but we did see we did get to see them fighting the Skeksis in the sky, like from above. So we did get to see some some flying action. Um, but to see that Celadon, uh, you know, was up fighting the Skeksis from the air um, was pretty cool. And then Farah flies in to, like, save her from getting shot out of the sky and ends up, you know, losing her wings and ultimately dying um, because she deemed that Celadon was uh, redeemed enough to, to save, even though it really wasn't that long before that they were they were going to fight Um so again, the, that forgiveness, that um, the, that forgiveness and acknowledging when someone has changed, uh, if Farah can uh, exemplify that, 
you know, and she's such a strong, brave character. I think it really gives a really cool message about how strength and bravery often comes in the form of forgiveness. And so that that relationship between uh, Madra Farah and Celadon is one that I think we shouldn't take for granted because it's a really a really interesting message to be learned there um, about the relationship between forgiveness and redemption and then bravery and and also you know the fact that it's between two powerful women because a lot of the time society tends to pit women against each other especially you know when they're women in positions of power a lot of the time you know a lot of aspects of society wants want women to to fight and like tear each other down and to see these two strong women who these strong female characters of Celadon and, and Farah, who are strong and independent in their own ways, um, they start out at odds, but then they end up, yeah. you know, yeah, caring side, about yeah. each other enough to to fight. Yeah, so Celadon's pretty important. Uh, uh, a lot more than just a a goth girl fling. Yeah, if you yeah, ask exactly. Me. And although that's oh cool yeah, too. yeah, it's it's a great <laughs> look. Like I mean, I, again, I, I know where like the widow workshop. I mean. It had they if they made like a a celadon with the gothic regalia it's like oh you know that would be a great piece <laughs> that would be so cool yeah that would be really cool um and what a beautiful sculpt that would be um they would have to get the paint job just right though it'd be pretty easy to you know have her looking like she needs to be on rupaul's drag race if you're not careful but um <laughs> but uh, that being said she Man, that would be a great paint job if they if they did it right. I would love to I would love to display a, a Celadon in her in her Garthic sort of again, I keep it it really reminds me of Maleficent, but like in a dark crystal sort of way. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, that's going to be like it, it's it's one of those things now. It's like, you know, um what will happen to Celadon like in in you know that's the thing now it's like what, what's going to happen to her next and while well, we don't know what's going to happen with the future of the of, of age of resistance um but what are you what are your thoughts about like um you know whether you know whether she, um she will continue to be the old marja or whether she's you know or whether there might be a casual where she's like you know i i forfeit and pass it on to to someone else or um yeah like yeah to, to to yeah to Brea, yeah or um I, yeah i just yeah or whether she or, or she has to do something to prove herself that you know that she can take the claim again or i don't know yeah that's that's the one thing i'm really curious about like what's going to happen to her next there's also the question of you know what happens to gelfling culture after this point because the context we have from the jm lee novels is that ultimately all of the clans sort of dissolve their boundaries from each other and just fuse into one clan of Gelfling. So at that point, are they going to even have an Almadra? Are they even going to have one Gelfling in a position of power over others, um, sort of serving as a matriarch? Or is it going to be sort of like a, they have um, like a council of Madras, or, you know, how the entire system that they run for their politics is probably going to have to change because again the the whole system of the madra was something devised by the skexies you know they even tell her you are the madra because you're you are all madra because we made you 
Al Madro. We created it. And, and I actually liked the um and with that scene, uh, you know, rewatching it, and it's like, well, the, the Vaprin have never been Mordra, so th- like, there's been other clans that have been the old Mordra um, before, which I thought that was really interesting. Um, like, even though, yeah, I mean, the Skeksis started it, and I think they must have been trialing, you know, the, a different clan each year, each trine or whatever to, you know, figure out, you know, who'd be the best. Um, and and is like, you know what? Let's get the Vaprin to just permanently be the old Mordra. And part of that was just also part of the the plot to sort of get them all distrusting each other and having all of these preconceptions and sort of, you know, racist undertones toward each other so that they couldn't unite against the Skeksis. It was all very deliberately contrived in a way that was meant to keep them all feeling distrustful toward each other or jealous or... um, suspicious and things like that and the choosing the Vaprins as sort of always having the Almadra from the from the Vapra clan is just one example of that a way to sort of foster those those um those borders in between the different clans and that's something that I don't think naturally comes to Gelfling it had to have been forced on them by the Skeksis because they knew that if left to their own devices, the Gelfling would unite and and sort of be one with Thra as opposed to being political and having these social boundaries. Um, so I think now that they're aware of what's going on with the Skeksis and, and the resistance has formed and the the lines get blurred, um, I think the the whole concept of the Almadra is gonna gonna have to go away altogether. That's what I think is gonna happen. I don't think it's that Celadon stops being Almadra. I think like the concept of the Almadra has to completely go away and become something else. And then also it's gonna depend too on how much of what happens in in JM Lee's JM Lee's novels at the end of Flames of the Dark Crystal, how much of that is technically gonna be considered officially canon compared to what would have happened in season two of the show. Because we can only, that's sort of all we have now. We don't have, um, all we can think of is what could have happened in season two. But what happened in Flames of the Dark Crystal, that is, that's context that we have. And at the end of that book, there is sort of this symbolic, um, the the Gelfling sort of symbolically named Tavra, the new Almadra. There's like a whole scene there with where they sort of, look to to Tavra because of the actions that that she takes in the books and everything and you know if (laughs) if we're to consider the books as canon as Age of Resistance Tavra's not dead no no she's she's a spider I know I know it's uh, one of those um I know wishy-washy things (laughs) of the dark crystal sometimes is her Sometimes they don't align but yeah yes yeah her her body as Tavra has been returned to Thra but her spirit was in, you know, the the spider, and and yeah, yeah cr- and then yes, she, yeah, you know, takes on the form of other Gelfling, you know, later when she has the, there's the Seafin girl who is in a coma, and Tavra uses her body for a while and things like that. Like it's, it gets nuts. Read the books; it's amazing. Um, if you want more Tavra content, but anyway, all that to say, at the end of Flames, there is sort of this symbolic naming of Tavra as the successor. Um, and I, I forget, you said you hadn't, you didn't read Flames before Age of Resistance. You read it after? Yeah, I did, okay. yes, yeah. So you didn't have any sort of context for Celadon, really, um, 
when you started watching Age of Resistance then? Because... No, I mean, because, I mean, the, the only thing I knew about Celadon was, I mean, they introduced her in the third book, In Flames, and that was like, yeah, just a background character. I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't think much of Celadon, you know, watching, watching the show, um, for the first time, but I definitely knew about the old Mordra's death. I mean, you know, reading, reading that in, in the third book, um, you know, almost a year before the show came out and I was like really shocked about that. I'm like, wow, you know, um, and also with, um, uh, with Mira's essence, uh, you know, with Chamberlain, you know, drinking that as well. And, um, like, like that, that, that were pretty big moments in the show. And yeah, I mean, I was so surprised, you know, to see those moments like in the book and then that sort of, you know, follows through with the show as well. So that was pretty much the only sort of spoilery things that I thought, yeah, I mean, you know, that, you know, that I know there's sort of part of me, I was just like, oh, you know, I wish I didn't knew that before seeing the show, but then it's sort of, I guess, I guess it helped because I mean, we're seeing the show for the first time and, you know, so much was going on in every episode that it's sort of like, yeah, okay, I can see these things happening, but it's kind of cool to at least, you know, uh, you know, watch it, a, you know, from a different perspective and, um, yeah, just analyzing the things, you know, seeing things as they come. Um, so that was kind of cool, but yeah, I mean, with Celadon, um, yeah, like her arc was, um, yeah, I didn't see her, you know, going to the, you know, to the dark side, you know, you know, uh, you know, joining with, with the Skeksis or, um, yeah, I thought, you know, she's gonna, uh, you know, help, help out with the cause, but, um, no, at the start, no, she's very traditionalist and, you know, wanted to, uh, support the Skeksis. I mean, I mean, supporting and yeah. And, and supporting the Skeksis over her mother, <laughs> you know, um, which is crazy to think that, um, yeah, yeah. And they tell you that in, uh, in flames of the dark crystal, we get a little bit of information about, we just get the general, like summary of the fact that, uh, the Almadra's dead and Celadon takes over, but she's siding with the Skeksis and that there's contention between the other Madras as to whether or not they accept Celadon as the new Almadra. And we don't see a whole lot of perspective on that because Tavra's not there as that's happening. So we're not, and Brea's not really a key player in the books at all. So we're not seeing that happen, but we're hearing about it through characters on the outside. So having read flames right before literally finished reading flames like hours before age of resistance premiered so it was like fresh in my mind <laughs> and um like i was powering through reading flames over the course of like 48 hours to try to get it in before age of resistance premiered yeah no that, uh, that was uh, it was so interesting um the the release of that book to release that book a couple of days before the show came out um i don't know what was up with the marketing um like i mean i, I would have thought oh you know they'll release it after the show comes out you know maybe like a couple of weeks later but no nah. <laughs> but no so no, but it's cool you know that yeah i mean it was cool that you got a chance to uh yeah to, to read it yeah so I knew that there was going to be something that some sort of a conflict that has to do with Celadon. And when you first meet her in the first episode, you can see that there's tension there. Celadon's the one who's like a little bit more of the, the brat of, you know, who's the bossy big sister who's going to be more loyal to the status quo. Like you, you get hints of that already in the first episode. And the fact that I had read Flames, I was like, something's going to happen with her. But I don't think... I could have prepared for 
exactly how that arc was going to play out. And it's really interesting that neither did the writers. Um, because when, when we chatted with uh, Jeff and Will and Louie, they talked about, they mentioned to us how Celadon originally was not going to be a big part of the plot at all. She was there because she's, you know, they had a little note, like, oh, make sure we mention Celadon because she's the third sister. And then Louie was like, no, wait a minute, there's three sisters. We have to explore that more because there's this whole thing with the alchemy and the, um, the lore of the Dark Crystal world that the, the threes are that's important there's this a whole symbolic thing with the number three so like we can't let the fact that this main character is a third sister we, we can't not talk about that so then celadon became this bigger character and then they just like fleshed her out more and um so yeah they they talked about that to us but also on this this article on the decider um jeff and Will talked about it, how they were surprised. Will Matthews said, she's a character that definitely surprised me in the writing and then in the performance. Um, he said that, you know, he couldn't believe how much Celadon was able to sell in the puppetry, like the emotion she had in her face. Like she cuts her eyes across the room and you're like, can a puppet sell that? Thinking and scheming and me menacing. And the puppeteer got in there and what she could do was unbelievable. And then the voice, the character just came to life in an unexpected and fantastic way. Um, Will talks about how she was not first imagined to have such a big or complicated role. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, they were reading Joe Lee's books that they were like, oh, she's a little bigger than, than we had written her. We need to, like, pump her up a little bit. And then, but Louis, man, it really, like, credit to Louis Leterrier for being as big a Dark Crystal geek as we are. Because... The fact that he went, wait, number three, we got to talk about that. That's important. <laughs> like, oh, that's, I love it. I love that, that all of the people involved in this show were nerds, just like we are. Like, that makes us feel like we could do it, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, um, I mean, it was great. Like, um, yeah, it was very interesting that, yeah, that her character was going to be just a small part. And then, yeah, then through time, you know, they uh, really established her character and, just developed her so much more yeah and she's a supporting character you know it's like <laughs> um so that's why that's why i think you know it, it i know it sucks that we don't you know we don't have a season two as of now but um i i you know out of all the characters it's like i want to know more of you know it's like yeah i want to know more about you know what happens to rian what happens to dean what happens to brea um but i think i think saladon's probably the one I'm, I would love to know more about yeah. her, you know. Because there is a lot more of a redemption to be proven there. Like, yes, she has proven that she's sorry and that she wants to change and that she's fighting alongside the resistance, but she's done a lot of damage and, you know, she has a lifetime of conditioning and a lifetime of living her life that way to sort of make up for now at this point. And she's going to have to change her entire modality for the rest of forever and for the whole rest of Gelfling society to be able to trust her and to be able to coexist with her you know there is she has some boundaries to to break down still there and the the relationship between her and Brea has to evolve and change and it's great that we saw that moment of forgiveness and of of reconciliation between the two of them unfortunately through losing Tavra but um 
But yeah, if we got a second season, one of the things I would want to see more than anything else would be how that relationship changes between Celadon and Brea now that they have a chance to really get to know each other as sisters in a new way that they couldn't before because they had those boundaries of, you know, one of us is in line to be the next Almadra and you're, you know, sort of an outsider and you're challenging the norm, but I have to live my life according to the norm. And like now that those barriers are torn down and they, they can just be vulnerable as sisters together, there's a whole story to be told there. Yeah. Yeah. That the priority is now no longer about, you know, being the Maudra or or whatnot, that the priority is going to be family and, you know, the Gelflings one big family, you know, the many become one so yeah it, it's it's gonna be really interesting to see what happens you know if you know when it happens um i hope it'll be um pretty good stuff i, I think we'll probably wrap up for uh this episode of uh trial by stone of course i mean there's still a lot to talk about with um with saladon and as we'll definitely get um uh, jamie he'll be back um you know for part two of the discussion uh get to get his thoughts yeah i'm already thinking right now like oh i didn't talk about this or that or that well we'll get there and you know we've got so many character discussions to go to but yeah i think um yeah saladon i think overall yeah very complex very interesting character and i wonder if she's gonna have another sort of regalia um (laughs) you know for season two yeah is she gonna transform again like is she gonna have to like figure out what her new look is now that she's redeemed and you know what what is her new identity as the redeemed version of celadon is it still going to be is she going to be a little more emo looking this time or how's that going to go i don't know let's see makeup tutorial by celadon (laughs) exactly yeah does celadon become the next big beauty guru of thra oh yeah (laughs) let's find out in season two exactly yeah (laughs) I know we shall see yeah all right so yeah we'll wrap it up and uh thank you so much for tuning in and um yeah definitely stay tuned for more trial by stone if you'd like to get in contact with the show you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com you can also like us on facebook follow on twitter and instagram and subscribe on youtube If you'd like to know more about the podcast, visit our website at www.darkcrystalpodcast.com. Thank you so much and stay tuned for the next episode of Trial by Stone. This podcast is brought to you by ThamesCon, bringing conventions to Oxford and London, including the Great Conjunction, the first ever dark crystal convention in the world. For more information, visit their website at www.thegreatconjunction.com.